1: But the fact of the matter is that the industry has accomplished all of that at the same time it's lacked diversity. Uh, Women, people of color, other, basically anyone outside of California, or a lot of geographies outside of California, Massachusetts, New York, remain underrepresented.
0: Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR shaping our appalachian region if you're a entrepreneur out there especially in eastern kentucky check them out appalachian meets world it's will
1: and neil
0: what up brother hey what's going on lots and lots of activities it's summer summertime is not a break time that's for sure that is for sure something every day man Nothing wrong with that. No, keeps you hopping, keeps you young. Maybe I don't know. Turns you old. I don't know. One of the two. Might might, might, might turn you old. Yeah, I think so. More mature. Uh, I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm definitely losing years on my life. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Holiday right around the corner. Will are you looking forward to celebrating the Fourth of July? I am. Might go to a little parade. Or if I recall from last year. Uh, Actually, I know every year, but we talked about it last year. Are you planning the big fireworks display this year? Well, as uh, most Appalachians, uh, I'm big on tradition. And uh, that is a staple in my family that I will light the woods on fire. (laughs) Do Do you already have them? Have you already bought them? No, the shipment is on its way. Nice. It is Quite a tradition we have established. Uh, we love to shoot fireworks off on the 4th of July. We're actually doing it on the 3rd. I uh, don't want to compete with the city. want to give everybody an opportunity to see both. So Sunday night? Yeah, Sunday night, dark 30. Watch out. How's this? It's a whole neighborhood thing, right? Yeah, you know. I mean, you know where I live. The, I got kind of got a separate lot back behind the house, so we go back on that separate lot and... I set up chairs on the opposite end for all the neighbors to come out and sit in if they if they choose, or they can pretty much see it from their house if they want. But they know it's happening. We notify them, let them know. And, uh, it's quite a show. Try to put the dogs up and go at it. I did have a couple things to mention tonight. I hope so. Let's hear it, Ohio. I know we mentioned in Not an it. earlier episode how they had issue legislation for the state for 500 million dollars set aside for Appalachia, Ohio. The governor just signed that bill and so that money will be going to communities throughout Appalachia, Ohio, 500 million dollars. That's awesome, Will. Do you know how they get that money? How do they, uh, how can they Sign up to be on the list. I don't know exactly. It'll be it'll be in grant forms. I think there might be some match. Uh, it'll be for downtown revitalization, uh, other programs throughout communities. But they'll have yeah. to go through a process. Maybe apply. We'll try to post some stuff in the show notes in regards to that. Uh, there's a big process involved in getting that getting that money. It's nice to know that it is available for those Appalachian counties within Ohio. So. I also want to give a big shout out. The Daily Yonder put out an article uh, just last week, how Appalachia is growing its outdoor economy through collaborations and capacity building. And it's a big article. It actually talks with Ta Enos, who we had on the program, talks about the Pennsylvania wilds, all the great things in regards to entrepreneurship and outdoor recreation that they're doing there. So I want to give a shout out to Ta and her organization the PA Wild Center for Entrepreneurship, great article. We'll post it in the show notes. Talks about, like I said, the growing outdoor economy and outdoor industry in Appalachia. It's just pretty Once cool. Once again, Will, one of our guests, going going mainstream. That's <laughs> right. To, you know, come on the show. We'll take care of you. <laughs> exactly. Just a little sidebar. I, I had something sent to me earlier in the week. It was like. I don't know, 20 things that Appalachians do or whatever that, you know, are are commonplace where we're from, but others might not appreciate. One of the things on the list was waving to everybody. Oh, We've talked about that before. I know we've talked about it a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a staple. Uh, I was hoping you were going to say you got some more crunch and munch (laughs) sent. No. (laughs) Maybe talk and get our address again. I don't know. I'll, I'll look into that. Yeah, that Crunchy Munch is good stuff. You finish yours? Oh, yeah, you know it. Yeah, Kids I got hold of it. It was gone quick. Yeah, I finished ours the same day. So go on with it. What else is on the list? I'm interested. What's yeah, something? a few other things on the list. We'll go ahead and make this Ask Anything Friday. Yeah, let's hear it. Will, what you so got? I'll mention I'll mention a few of them to you to ask you if you agree or disagree. Turn your cap right. Your head isn't crooked. Uh, yes, I definitely agree. You know, I don't uh, think that's an Appalachian thing, though. No. I think that's just a, a maturity thing. <laughs> Maybe, but I wear my hat backwards a lot. But backwards is not what it's talking about. It's talking okay. about sideways. <laughs> gotcha. You, know. you have a $60,000 car. We're impressed. We have a $150,000 tractor. Yeah, maybe. I I think that's that's Appalachian. That's also Mid America. A lot of farming. Yeah, right. For sure. sure. I know we've had a couple guests on the show that big into farming that uh, would probably agree with that statement. Another one. Yeah, we eat taters, gravy, beans, and cornbread. You really want sushi and caviar? It's available at the local bait shop. (laughs) What do you think? I I ain't going to lie. I I mean, I eat me some sushi every now and then. But before I started, I considered it bait. Yeah, Uh, I think we've come around on sushi. I don't know, uh, maybe because of our travels. Uh, I I like sushi. (laughs) I can't deny it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We open doors for women. That may be old school, but I feel like that's a little Appalachian too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Chivalry still exists in Appalachia. When we fill a table, there are three main dishes meats, vegetables and breads. We use these three seasonings salt pepper and baking grease. <laughs> amen you know you're going you know you're gonna get Amen from me on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will say if nobody has tried pancakes and baking grease, that is my secret ingredient. so there's yeah. a there's does that a great make, show note for you. Does that make the edges crisp up? Yes. You got to have have the bacon grease, man. You can can fix the pancake, but unless you can get the edges to crisp up, it's not like the perfect pancake. You know what I'm saying? It's bacon grease. That's my secret ingredient. Don't tell anybody. Nice, nice. Definitely in the show notes. Uh, This one we talked about before and the importance of high school athletics, but college and high school football are more important here than the Bengals or the Reds and more fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. That's That's an Appalachian thing for sure. That's absolutely true community man that's what we're about two inches of snow isn't a blizzard it's a flurry driving it like you got some sense and don't take all our bread milk and bleach from the grocery stores i don't know i don't think i agree with that if it if it flurries there where where you live you guys that are out for a week yeah i mean people in appalachia definitely freak out over a little bit of snow i mean there's no there's no question i mean we don't we don't handle that well All right. That, those were just a few. I thought they were funny. I thought they were, some of them were pretty spot on. uh, But I just want to mention a couple of those. They had that sent to me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. Well, as I was re-listening to our, uh, to our last episode, uh, you know, I like to go back and and listen through just because I really feel like that's the best way to get the most out of it (laughs) In, in some cases. When I was listening to the last episode with Grady talking about Three Roots Capital, I was thinking of all of the different people that I might plug into Three Roots Capital. I don't know if you had that go go through your mind, but lots of entrepreneurs throughout Appalachia uh, that I was thinking of that might might be able to uh, uh, get some help from Grady down the road. So uh, that's the that's the important part of uh, talking to Grady. That that was the important part of it, it, it in regards to. Not not necessarily venture capital, but just access the capital in general. Having more Three Roots Capitals throughout Appalachia, having more funds for opportunities for entrepreneurs is really important to build that local, whether it's VC, whether it's angel, whether it's CDFI, whether it's loans, whether it's equity. Just having those local funds uh, available to the entrepreneurs is important, not only for the entrepreneurs but for the to allow the entrepreneur, entrepreneurs and opportunities to, to stay in Appalachia. Absolutely, I know tonight's guest is going to give us some additional information that uh, an additional perspective on on uh, capital. Kind of in line with that, one piece of. News that, that did kind of hit the headlines here a couple of days ago. Did you see that train de- derailment? No, I did not see that, Will. Where, where was it? Unfortunately, three people were killed and at least 50 injured when, when the Amtrak train derailed in Missouri. Small rural town in, in Missouri, Missouri after hitting a dump truck. Oh, my gosh. One of the big reasons why this dump truck was on the tracks and why the Amtrak train hit it is because it had no – Bars, you know, the lights and bars that come down in the intersection. Yeah. Well, because the town was so small, because it was so rural, it would have cost $400,000 to put those lights and bars on the intersection. And so they just didn't do it. And people have said for years in that community of how you can't really see the train coming until you get right up on it. And I just wanted to point that out because. In these small rural communities, you know, we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We talked about it a little bit with Brady. We talk about it all the time, especially when it comes to gender diversity, racial and ethnic minorities. But one of the things we don't talk about is geographical, the small rural areas and how they're important, too. And that's one of the reasons why this town in Missouri didn't have the lights and bars. Is because I guess it's a small rural community, less population, less density equals less importance in the minds of of some people, especially the people that wanted to spend, that didn't spend $400,000 to put the lights and bars on the intersection. Yeah. This whole accident in Missouri could have been prevented, right? Yeah. and, and I mean, it just gets to the point of because they were looking at it as there's less people there, less populated, less dense. Therefore, less important, or at least that's what it looks like, you know, and rural communities are just as important as urban communities. And even in the venture capital space, you know, when you're talking about diversity, equity and inclusion, you really need to also include the geographical areas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's learn some more about it, Will. Let's get let's get Mariam on the show and, and uh, hear what she's got to share with us. Yeah. Mariam Hawk with Venture Forward. Let's get the expert on and see what she's doing in regards to DNI and the venture space. Let's do it. He is the executive director of venture forward which is a spinoff to some degree of the national venture capital association they have a mission to shape the future of venture capital especially when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion Miriam, we want to just thank you for being on the show we appreciate your time
1: Will, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Uh, Just to kind of kick things off, the first question that we always ask all of our guests is kind of a weird one, but we like to kind of just uh, get to know you a little bit better. Will and I's family is all about traditions, as most Appalachians are. And one of the traditions that we have uh, at the holidays and really anytime we get together is we have a big spread of appetizers. Everybody in the family brings some type of appetizer. And, and you know, we usually end up having more appetizers than we do actual food, but do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish.
1: Oh man, that's a great question. So I would say favorite appetizer in general is probably just like guacamole and, and chips, but um, for like a holiday dish, it would probably be something closer to like um, a cheese board or a cheese plate.
0: Nice, yeah, I'm a big I'm a big cheese fan. I, I, I often at a restaurant if they have a cheese cart for dessert, that's always my first pick. I know that sounds weird.
1: Yeah, can't can't go wrong with cheese. Definitely a <laughs> cheese fan here.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, now that we have that question out of the way, let's just go ahead and dive right into venture forward. You know, we talk about a lot on this show. And we've had several episodes in regards to entrepreneurship, on building entrepreneur ecosystems, how important it is to build those ecosystems, but also diversify the economy throughout Appalachia. Part of that is funding or access to capital. And as we've mentioned in previous episodes, the importance of venture capital. And the National Venture Capital Association really focuses on that and the advocacy. But like I said in the intro, Venture Forward is kind of a spinoff of that. And you are the executive director. Can you just let our listeners know what Venture Forward is and how it's trying to shape the industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think I can actually put it in the context of uh, you know you're you're asking about my my background before, and I actually grew up in Mississippi, and it was you know a place where venture capital was like an unheard of concept. I didn't even know what venture capital was until post college, and I moved out to to San Francisco. But it kind of I think helps to set this backdrop of if you don't know someone in the venture industry, if you didn't go to maybe a handful of universities, you don't live within maybe 50 miles of a couple of cities in this country, the likelihood of you having really many exposure to venture capital is probably really limited. And I saw that, you know, just firsthand as well. And so What we realized with venture forward is both, um, there is that challenge, there's this barrier of entry, if you will, to to venture capital, just in terms of access and opportunity and knowing that it's a viable career opportunity, but it's also a opportunity because if you think about venture capitalists, they're trying to invest in, you know, the next generation of innovation. Like what's what's the future hold of, of innovative products and if it's only accounting for a small slice of the population or a small segment of individuals in the country, and, and only solving for those types of challenges or, or you know kind of addressing uh, shorter term uh, societal issues, it's really missing these huge opportunities for not only impact but returns. And at the end of the day, venture capital really is all about you know driving financial returns, and so several years ago, uh, NVCA really at, at the board level recognized that we really need to be doing more when it comes to widening and expanding the network in the tent for venture capital, making it more welcoming and to provide resources and programs to basically make it available or accessible, you know, anyone in the country wants to learn about what a venture capital fund how is how it operates, um, how to, you know, start one, how to raise Venture funding from an investor, that that shouldn't be a closed mindset that only a few people have the the knowledge and information for that. That knowledge needs to be shared out and broadcasted to the world. And and so about six, seven seven years ago, we started formulating this idea for a 501c3 that would be a supporting organization to NDCA to really have a long-term sustainable way to address this need. And so- Fast forward to um, 2020, and we were actually planning to publicly launch Venture Forward in March in San Francisco. Obviously, that didn't happen, but we nonetheless you know, hit the ground running, did a virtual launch and have put in place several you know, programs and initiatives, which I'm happy to, to dive into more. But we are now a 501c3 organization with the sole mission to advance diversity, equity and inclusion and to educate the next generation of investors who, who want to enter this industry.
0: That's great. I know you explained it a little bit, but how do you separate yourself from NVCA? I know you are are intertwined, but you definitely have a, a different focus than NVCA. Can you just describe that a little bit?
1: Sure. Yeah. So NVCA, again, is the National Venture Capital Association, and it is a pretty traditional trade association based in D.C. that focuses on advocacy in public policy, you know, most industries have some sort of similar lobbying organization that is representing them in in DC on it as it relates to federal and public policy issues. NVCA, like I said, it, as a traditional trade association, it's actually pretty common in DC for trade associations to have a, a sister organization that's a five hundred one c three that focuses not on advocacy or public policy, that but focuses on more industry-facing issues, and that can vary, but for us, we really have prioritized those industry health and industry-facing issues to be diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and education.
0: Maybe just something off the top of your head. What, what is the common misconception? What do people get wrong about venture capital?
1: Yeah, this is this is really a great question because we've seen a lot of this firsthand from you know policymakers as well as the general public, and then also there's you know the media element where venture capital is is being portrayed a lot more in sort of mainstream media. I would say there are a couple of things that stand out in terms of some misconceptions. One is that I think there's this notion that companies like Facebook and Google are you know the, the venture Back companies that we are talking about today. And Google and Facebook were once venture backed, like they did get their roots and their, their foundings from venture capital, but that was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And they've since gone on to go public and, you know, they are like big tech public companies. They're really not the universe of companies that today that we're talking about in terms of, you know, early stage founders with an idea getting up off the ground that are trying to actually be the next Google and Facebook like that's really the the type of companies that you know venture capital today is focused on so i think it's just kind of separating ourselves from big tech yeah i think the other sometimes misconception is because venture capital funds and the asset class is adjacent to or kind of a subset of private equity and some other private market categories, it tends to sometimes just kind of get clumped in with buyout funds and hedge funds and picking stocks and, you know, more of this financial engineering type of model that some of these other asset classes have. Whereas venture capital is really more about taking a risk, a very high risk on an unknown idea, you know, a founder, you know, uh, maybe to a very small team that, you know, has some really cool or interesting innovation or technology that is really just in a very early stages, but has maybe the promise to be something big, say, you know, eight, 10 years from now. And so kind of working with that entrepreneur over that time to help build that company, because unless there's some value created from that company, there is really no return when it comes to, to the venture capital funds. And I think the third uh, misconception is uh, the term small business, or you know, small businesses really are the backbone of, of our economy. But there are lots of different types of small businesses, things like restaurants and dry cleaners, and you know, these really important small businesses that help cities and and, and economies run. But these aren't necessarily high growth small businesses. Venture capital is very. Laser focused on the high growth small business aspect, where there's like a technology or or some sort of innovative model that's sort of at the backbone of it as well, and so it's kind of trying to conflate all of these three sort of misconceptions I laid out, and it's a very small niche you know, in the middle of that, that, that I would say is uh, where venture capital and venture backed companies lie.
0: That's an excellent point. And I'm glad you mentioned the laser focus to high growth. A large part of Appalachia, you know, is rural and a large part is focused on the small downtown main street businesses. You know, VC is not for everybody. It's definitely not for those main street businesses, but there is potential in Appalachia. I want to get that get to that in a minute. But I like how you mentioned you were from Mississippi. And when you lived there, you didn't know what venture capital was until you moved to San Francisco. So if we could touch on the education aspect of venture forward just a little bit, I think that's an important part in regards to Appalachia, just educating people on what VC is, on how it operates, on how they could get introduced into the industry. Can you talk a little bit about what Venture Forward does in regards to education?
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think what's interesting now compared to, say, when I got into the industry maybe 15 years ago, social media was still fairly new and sort of just more transparency and openness of ideas flowing across the internet was still a somewhat newer concept. And so I think the good news today is that there are a lot more thought leaders and industry experts who are putting out publicly available information. And there's a lot more like geographically focused content that's out there. And There actually has been more venture capital that has spread out across the country. I think if anything, that's been a silver lining of the pandemic has been that a lot of, you know, talent has dispersed from some of the larger metro areas to middle parts of the country. And I think that's a great opportunity for some of that talent, local talent to to start to develop and help to build out some of those local ecosystems. Related to that, you know, to connect the dots here for, for education, about four years ago, we launched a new program called East University Online. And the whole purpose of this was to really democratize access to venture capital education and to make it accessible. So it's a fully online course. You know, anyone can take it from anywhere across the country. It's a five-month self-paced course too. So it's you know totally. We recognize everyone or a lot of people have you know other jobs or day jobs and other things going on, and so. It's a way for you know anyone interested in learning about venture capital to get more of a structured learning about what is a venture capital fund? How do investors think about evaluating companies, sourcing companies to invest in? How do they do diligence on companies? And when it comes to like actually investing, like how to how do you navigate term sheets and a lot of the technical aspects that come to being investor, also, you know, how to a director on a company board, uh, things like that. So there are you know technical aspects when it comes to venture capital, but there's also, I would say, many would argue that venture is more of a, an art than science. And so we also provide a lot of context from leading. VCs across the country who basically are explaining how, you know, how actually they they do some of this these things and how do they think about investing in companies and, and what have they learned from you know, their successes and failures. And just as a reminder, the, the inherent kind of model of venture capital is failure is more of the rule than the exception. Like most companies are just, they're going to fail. And that's the nature of the beast of this, this, right. this asset class is, that's just so innovation driven and technology driven, but it's the riskiest asset class that you know, anyone could really be, be a part of. Not to discount the fact that also if you're a founder and you have a great idea, there's a lot of financial risk that goes into saying, okay, I'm going to you know, quit my job. I'm going to put all of my time, effort, some potentially limited wealth or capital I have into funding this you know, new product, this new technology you know, I might have a family that I need to support. I have, you know, student loans. So there's just like a lot of financial risk that goes into this. And so by providing some of this education more broadly, we're trying to minimize or reduce some of those barriers. But then also some of our programs, we're, we're just also trying to connect entrepreneurs and emerging managers, emerging fund managers two sources of capital as well, because we recognize, you know, not everyone is necessarily coming from wealth or, you know, didn't have a huge exit yeah. or make a lot of money in a previous job where they can invest that into, you know, being a VC or being a founder.
0: VC University, it's it's a really excellent program, not only for the content, but also the network and the connections that you can make. The venture capital ecosystem talks about disrupting technology disrupting through innovation all the time. And I really feel like that VC University and Venture Forward is really disrupting the investment community, allowing other people outside of the coasts outside of white male software developers that typically will just invest in their own geographical area. You guys are really disrupting the investment community and allowing investors all over the country to get better educated to enter the venture capital system. So I just want to commend you guys for what you're doing in that regard.
1: Thanks. Well, yeah, I I believe you were um, in one of our earlier cohorts and we've actually now had about 2000 people come through that program in just a little over four years. So we're excited to see the the interest really in in this sector and uh, hoping to just be able to equip more next generation venture leaders and and have them be more dispersed across across the country. That's really our, our end goal here.
0: I talked about VC is not for every business. Obviously, there's a lot of main street businesses that don't really require VC. And I think you touched on it a little bit. The reason that VC is so important, you know, there are numbers out there, there's data out there this is backed research that venture capital companies create a large majority of the jobs throughout the country. I know that NVCA released some data that said in the last two decades from 1990 to 2020, that VC backed companies grew by a thousand percent, eight times more than non-VC backed companies. I just wanted to point that out of the importance of VC-backed companies and how many jobs that they actually produce.
1: That's a great stat. I love that you uh, brought that up. I was uh, I was gonna raise that as well, but it, it really just does go to show venture capital. It's not just about funding and innovation or the next big consumer app that everyone has on their phones. It, it really does translate to economic impact when it comes to jobs, specifically those great numbers that you just quoted, Will. There's also been some you know really interesting research that has shown that 50% of public companies in the US that were founded or that went public. After the 1970s, were actually venture back, and 77% of the market cap of public companies today is represented by venture back companies. I also think a, an aspect of venture that sometimes gets underlooked is life sciences, and I think it's just by the nature of like day to day, most people have more experience with you know more the consumer side, you know maybe the business and enterprise side of things, but you know life sciences is really I think in a, a Critical aspect to where venture is investing as well. Uh, Moderna, one of the vaccines that we have really leaned on over the past couple of years, was actually started through venture funding. Actually, 42% of FDA approved drugs uh, over the past 10 years or so actually originated through VC funding.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I also saw that through the recession, private companies that were not VC backed declined by 4%. And the companies that were VC backed, even through, through the recession and beyond, grew by 4%, which I think is an incredible stat to the nature of venture capital and what they're investing in.
1: Yeah, it kind of goes to show it's not just purely absolute jobs that ventures creating, but it's actually resilient jobs, like, right. just kind of based on what you you quoted there.
0: I wanted to get into kind of the diversity inclusion in regards to venture capital You know, often when when you hear about DEI, especially when it comes to venture, we'll first talk about women, minority, people of color that we're focused on to enter the industry. But I think there's also that geographic marginalization that is very apparent in Appalachia, but also throughout the country. How are you guys focusing on the geographical aspect or, you know, that middle America, especially in regards to this show, Appalachia and and those rural areas that also need that support that need that potential venture capital or that education and advocacy. Uh,
1: You know, those stats, those impact stats that we just mentioned a few minutes ago are really amazing. But the fact of the matter is that the industry has accomplished all of that. At the same time, it's lacked diversity, Mm -hmm. Uh, women, people of color, Other, basically anyone outside of California, or a lot of geographies outside of California, Massachusetts, New York, remain underrepresented. If that's both on the investor side that they're underrepresented, as well as on on the founder side, only about sixteen percent of investment partners today. Are women, uh, about 3% are, are Black, 4% are Hispanic. When you look at founders, I wanna say about 25% of venture investments last year went to female founded companies, and it's about 2% when you look at the numbers for Black founders. And so, you know, I think kind of the crux of where venture capital is, is trying to make an effort, and there are, you know, other organizations as well that are trying to move the needle here. And, and it really comes down to, you know, removing barriers and access but it's not just about as a venture firm okay great we hired you know we invested in one black founder we hired one female investor as a partner you know that's it we're done with the and i it's not just about the d which is diversity like that really is about you know what is the makeup what do the demographics look like at your organization it's also important for you know any leader to think about the e and the i which is you know equity and inclusion and that is really getting at, okay, well, once we have um, you know, talent in the industry, how do we foster it? How do we make sure it feels welcome? It has the opportunities to thrive and succeed. It's being treated in a manner that is equitable to, you know, peers, and it's recognizing that if different communities do, ha- do have historically based, you know, different um, challenges or barriers when it comes to this industry, like, how is that all kind of being approached? You know, is it a, a good culture where there's, you know, opportunity to be successful? Are there equitable comp- compensation strategies, et cetera? And so that's really where the, the DE&I angle, you know, why it's important, why we prioritize it. And again, it kind of goes to just if you think about everything we've accomplished as an industry so far, how much more we could accomplish if we are more diverse, equitable and inclusive. Like that's actually the exciting part, right? Like we could even do more.
0: I'm assuming that, you know, the Rise of the Rest Fund, Steve Case started that in regards to, you know, really focusing venture outlets in middle America. It was kind of a new model, obviously, in the venture industry to really focus on that middle American, those ideas and innovations that are happening there. But even through that fund, they really focus on the larger cities throughout middle America, throughout Appalachia. You know, I saw some numbers that venture investment, there's only two percent that actually go into rural communities throughout the country. And in Appalachia, that's down to one percent of the rural communities. I know there are obviously some larger cities throughout Appalachia, but is that a focus of Venture Forward to really capture the rural communities and the even more marginalized people within those
1: so I would say, you know, in terms of our, uh, like, for example, VC University, I, I don't have the the stats, the geographic stats of participants in front of me, but I, I would say like the structure and format of it does make it, I think a lot more accessible than for example, you know, other programs that you, you have to fly to Silicon Valley or fly to New York or Boston right. for you know a week and put up a lot of travel and expenses and, and whatnot. And so I do think in that regard, programs like VC University ha- have, I think just been more accessible to more people, so I, I do think there's that. I, I will say, you know, there there have been. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Rise of the Rest because that's an important program and one that we have followed for for a while and, and we know pretty well. But but there's also some programs that I'm not sure if, if you all have discussed or have on your radar. They're actually fairly new. One of them is called SSBCI. It's the State Small Business Credit Initiative that was actually has been signed into law and it basically is unlocking about ten billion dollars of capital To states, so that ten billion is getting dispersed across, you know, the fifty states. Mm -hmm. And part of it is for state economic development organizations to put to work into small businesses, including venture capital backable type businesses, so more of those high growth companies, as well as capital to put to work into invest in venture capital funds. And interestingly, this is run by the U.S. Treasury Department, and they are rolling out about five or six states every few weeks. And they actually just announced the first five states, I believe last week. And of those it's Hawaii, Kansas, Maryland, uh, Michigan, and West Virginia. So there is one that's already kind of in the Appalachia uh, market, but there will be more of these states being rolled out. And I do think it's, it's a, a helpful program. That's something that, you know, I'm sure your, your listeners may find useful, but also okay, just, cool. you know, I think there's more, um, I think there's more of a recognition of exactly what you're saying, Will, which is like a lot of the programs out there, they still tend to focus on even if it's, you know, in emerging ecosystems, it's in some of those larger markets, like I'll say, that's been the same for us, like we've done stuff in, you know, North Carolina, but that's been, you know, more in the the Chapel Hill area, Mm -hmm. we've, you know, done some things in some other parts of the southeast, just not exactly, I guess, touching uh, Appalachia. But I think some of these programs, some of, you know, investors that are cropping up in in some of these states that do have, I think, a little bit more uh, recognition of the opportunity in some of the rural areas is exciting to, to watch.
0: Yeah, that's great and that was
1: So it's a uh, SSBCI it stands SS. for State Small Business Credit Initiative. It's something that I'm not sure, I think it's not getting maybe as as much publicity or visibility as it should and I think part of it is is because it's, you know, I think when you think about any any large like government department trying to, you know, roll out right. something of this size and, you know, I think everyone kind of saw how things went with PPP, yeah. it's just like it's <laughs> like, okay, what is this, you know, bureaucratic process of applying and who do I talk to? Where do I go? Like, what's the website like, etc. And so I I think there's like kind of that fear a little bit. But you know, our, our hope is that it's going to be a program that does have impact. And it really does go to entrepreneurs and VC funds that really Do you need this capital and who will, you know, make an impact by investing it?
0: Very cool. We'll definitely put that in our show notes. And I'm not saying there's no venture capital in Appalachia. There's quite a bit of venture organizations, you know, it's three roots capital. There's a lot of CDFIs throughout that that have the venture aspect. There's a number of venture organizations, but I don't know if you're familiar with the Appalachia region, but regionally we kind of have a history of failed economic development projects as well as exploitative industries, a majority of of the land in Appalachia for a while was owned by outside interests. So so the people of rightfully so have long been skeptical of outside interests and investments from the outside, which includes venture capital. Is that something that your organization kind of acknowledges or how can we as a region in Appalachia kind of overcome this or kind of combat that thinking in regards to outside? outside investment, or in regards to, you know, we've always been a region that is kind of risk adverse, which is counterintuitive to what venture capital is. But just in regards to being skeptical of venture capital, is, is there a way that other than education and advocacy, I guess, that we can combat that throughout the region?
1: Well, you mentioned a couple of local VC firms, Will, and I, I think those, you know, just having more of that local capital and, and those local connections, I would imagine just probably are are at at a better comfort level. And I, I, I think. This isn't something that's unique to Appalachia. I think, you know, for any area and, you know, pretty much any entrepreneur really should be thinking about who it is that they want to go into business with, like who it is that they, you know, trust and want to work with and they are um, confident and comfortable with to help build their business and to invest yeah. in, in them. And so, you know, I think that goes for for any entrepreneur, regardless of where you're based. And so kind of having that comfort level, you know, asking the questions, being honest, saying like, hey, this is something that I'm not comfortable with, or it's Something I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. Can you help me understand how how you all have approached this in the past? Or you know, is there anything to be concerned about? So I think that that open and honesty is, is important, and I think it also helps. You know, maybe if it is a, a VC from um, outside of the region who maybe just doesn't appreciate or understand that, to just better understand and recognize that. Just going back to like kind of the hedge funds and, and buyout funds, this isn't just money or capital that's just dropping in and there's no relationship to this. Like venture is very much. A relationship business. There's just ongoing interaction between founders and, and VCs, and so I think having a strong rapport and and just that relationship starting off with the right footing from the beginning, I do think is important. And I think you you will find VCs that that totally. Uh, understand that. But I do think some of that local capital too, and helping to build up sort of the local ecosystem is ideally what we would want just to make sure that there is that um, recognition of all of these different factors of, you know, just the history and and the culture of of how, how, how things work.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent answer. You know, we have some we have some really recent, really great examples of a lot of organizations building from the ground up. But I don't know if you're familiar with App Harvest. They they started with a 60 acre farming facility in Moorhead, Kentucky, in Appalachia, Central Appalachia, and they um, went public very quickly. They they were definitely VC backed, but it's a It's a success story in Appalachia. And also, I know Richard Branson has talked about investing in Appalachia through the Hyperloop Certification Center in West Virginia. So there is some interest not only for organizations, but also I think they see a significant investment in the workforce throughout Appalachia.
1: Yeah, App Harvest is a great example, and it's one that we've been sure to uh, you know, talk about as well, just given the success story and the fact that it, it did go public. The other interesting thing about the Appalachia region is just geographically where it is um, on along the eastern side of the country in, in terms of just how how central it is to so much of the the Eastern side of uh, the country's population as well. I know that's something that, you know, historically has been, uh, I think seen as strategic too, just from like a purely geographic perspective and having, you know, so much, like, I would imagine there's what, like a significant amount of percentage of the U S population within, you know, just a few miles radius of, of Appalachia as well.
0: Right. I wanted to point out one encouraging number, you know, we talk about VC focusing, their investments in the coasts, I did see that uh, 73% of VC investment was to California, Massachusetts, and New York, which we have mentioned and we know. But aside from that, 62% of those companies employ people from outside of those states. It kind of gets back to some of the other numbers that we were talking about, but it shows that, that the disbursement of employment is not just focused on the coast, but it's throughout the country.
1: I think that's a great point and it kind of goes to show like where a company is based today maybe more so than ever is probably less relevant because right. it, more talent is, is working remotely and there are a lot of companies that have you know offices in other parts of the country to uh, meet various uh, needs and so I think that's 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 a great um point um, just in terms of the the percentage I think that you mentioned there, which was like the offices and the, the jobs that are employed outside of those traditional kind of BC concentrated metro hubs. I have a
0: couple of questions that we ask everyone kind of to wrap it up. But before we do that, is there anything that you would suggest to individuals in Appalachia that are looking to get into that would like to get involved in the venture capital industry or just the industry in general? Is there anything that you would suggest that they could do? tomorrow or in the future that would help them get into the industry, but also better understand the industry or become more knowledgeable and and help other businesses throughout Appalachia?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, if it's a very like high level, you know, where to start sort of Question: yeah. um, I would say definitely check out like the NVCA and Venture Forward websites. We have just some you know basic venture one hundred and one information there. You know how venture works, and there's a resource called the NVCA Yearbook, which is it, it's it's kind of a longer report, but it also goes into just like here's the industry at a glance without getting like too deep in in any one thing. But it's really just like at a surface. Like if you want to just get a snapshot of what's happening in in the venture industry today and and what it is. I think that does a great job. There's also some, you know, really good, you know, books out there. Um, uh, Venture Deals is, is a great one. Secrets to Sandhill Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to put in a little bit more time to just kind of get a little bit more of like a baseline knowledge. And then I would say like, actually, Twitter is a great place. And like blogs, uh, VC blogs have been uh, a lot more open and accessible. And just, just hearing from insiders about like what their thoughts are. And, you know, today's, today's environment is very interesting because we were in a uh, a bull market for, for several years. And now uh, things are definitely tightening and cooling. And, and you're kind of hearing a lot of people in the industry talking about that. So I, I think just, I, I would, I wouldn't discount uh, the, the power of Twitter in terms of this VC <laughs> communications these days. <laughs>
0: yeah, as long as you don't go down a rabbit hole.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah I, pre- I appreciate those points. Venture deals is, is really a great book. I'll give a shout out to that. So Miriam, I'm glad Will finally has given me the opportunity to ask a question, but uh, I do really do appreciate your time and wanted to to ask this question that we ask all of our guests. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Appalachia?
1: So I think about the first thing I think about are the mountains.
0: In tradition of what we always ask all of our guests, Miriam, just uh, where do you call home and what makes it home for you?
1: if you'd asked me this like two and a half years ago, it'd be a much easier answer, but I've been uh, hopping around a bit during the pandemic. And, you know, I think I, I still will call San Francisco home. It's where I've uh, called home for the better part of 15 years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the place where I come and I just feel very um, uh, welcome. It's very much my very aligned, I think with with how I kind of view the vibe and and the culture and and whatnot. So I I would say um, definitely I, I, probably San Francisco as, as my home.
0: Well, Miriam, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show, to educating us on venture forward on NVCA, and just, you know, what we can do to better educate the region, but also kind of disrupt that investment community to allow people outside the coast, individuals outside the coast and outside uh, the predominant California, New York's and Massachusetts to become uh, a part of the industry that is venture capital.
1: Th- thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun and uh, exciting to to keep an eye out on all the exciting things happening in Appalachia in the years to come.
0: Neil, just digging a little bit deeper into venture capital on Platinum primary- on the show to talk about all the great work that venture that venture forward is doing in regards to diversity equity inclusion yeah well i'm grateful for her time you know i know uh, hopefully our listeners are learning as much as me i'm just kind of like a sponge over here just taking it all in i always talk about me just listening and taking it all in but you know you guys get off in the woods sometimes i'm just trying to rein things back in <laughs> I did want to uh, mention again what she talked about, the State Small Business Credit Initiative. Yeah, that's a good one. It it, it has kind of flown under the radar, but, you know, it's $10 billion to to the states to uh, empower small businesses in regards to access to capital that's much needed to create jobs and opportunities. It really promotes entrepreneurship and democratizes access to the startup capital across the country, especially in underserved communities and in rural communities. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's lots of great opportunities for folks out there. And hopefully somebody listening to this will take advantage of that, Will. Yeah, they have a list uh, of contacts by state who you can contact in regard to these funds. So we may post that also in the show notes. You can look at your state, possibly reach out. Diverse set of show notes for us tonight. Anywhere from bacon grease to uh, uh, diverse Uh, ways to make money (laughs) or get money. (laughs) Uh, Will, in tradition of our show, do you have an app business of the week for me today? Yeah, I do have a few app businesses in mind. First one I want to mention is Invest Appalachia. Although it's not a venture capital firm. It connects community organizations to capital. So it focuses on social impact investing in the central Appalachian region. It focuses on community-centered projects, and connects community-centered products and businesses with flexible capital. Uh, It's a great organization, doing a lot of great work throughout Central Appalachia. It's a fairly new organization, too. I just want to give them a shout-out. In in terms of venture capital, there's a lot of great venture capital firms throughout the country. They're doing work in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Cross-culture ventures with Marlon Nichols. Diverse City Ventures. Kapoor Capital with Mitch Kapper. Backstage Capital with Arlen Hamilton. Uh-huh. She's doing a lot of great work fairly new fund. that focuses on the LGBTQ entrepreneurs, which I don't think we mentioned. It's the Pride Fund One. It's based in Columbus. So a lot of these are national venture firms outside of the coasts. But a few firms in Appalachia, you know, there's a lot in the bigger cities that we talked about. A couple of examples, Chattanooga Renaissance Fund, the Natural Capital Investor Fund in Asheville focuses on triple bottom line businesses. Hatero Venture Partners has a fund called the Pisca Fund. While Hatero Ventures is in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Pisgah Fund focuses on Appalachia part of North Carolina, the western part of North Carolina, focusing specifically on healthcare. Red Hawk VC is another firm in Birmingham, Alabama, and its primary focus is to invest in underserved markets. So I think that's important to point out. But the one that I really wanted to focus on today is the Sequoia Fund, spelled S-E-Q-U-O-Y-A-H. It's actually based in Western North Carolina, focuses on the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians throughout the seven westernmost counties of North Carolina. I just wanted to highlight them, talk about some of the great work they're doing in regards to driving entrepreneurship, driving small business growth in that underserved section of the country. These examples show that venture capital can work in in the underserved markets. It can work in the rural areas. Um, we need to focus on those areas as well. Nice. I love it. Lots of app biz mentioned today to, tonight. Hopefully some of our listeners can utilize something that we've offered them tonight. And I look forward to uh, learning more about it myself. Will. All right. We'll, we'll put those all in the show notes. And I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace.
1: I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long, sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.